welcome to Sermon Seasonings, the podcast of Christchurch Gladesville, where we look in more depth at the passage and some of the ideas that were raised on Sunday. My name's David Mears. And I'm Mandy Curley. On Sunday, we looked at Mark chapter 6, verses 1 to 30, and saw some remarkable rejections of Jesus. In three scenes, one after the other, we saw Jesus rejected. He was rejected at the synagogue by those from his hometown. He was rejected by those in the villages and towns who would not listen to or welcome his disciples. And he was rejected by King Herod, who ordered that John the Baptist's head be chopped off, rejecting the one who was to prepare the way for Jesus and his message. It was a sobering message as we saw the consequences of rejecting Jesus, our King. Thanks heaps, Malik, for preaching and opening that passage for us. Uh, My pleasure. Great. Now, Mike, uh, what are you going to be speaking to us about today as we look at this together? Yeah, look, um, a couple of questions came up. um, Well, the same question, really, morning and then again at night. Um, And I think we decided this is a big one for the the podcast to give it um, some decent treatment, some decent length. Uh, And so what we'll we'll kick off with is how do we know that Christianity is true? Um, We'll then think about, well, hang on, is is it reasonable to believe that the Bible is the written word of God. Mm. And then we'll start moving to the the territory of, well, should Christians investigate other claims to the truth? Um, And I guess how do we go about it and and how much effort do we put into that? And that'll actually lead into a question of how do we evaluate um, other worldviews or other, other truth claims? So I think that's where we're heading. Great. Sounds excellent. So, well, the first one, how do we know that Christianity is true? Pretty big question. Look, it is, and it's one that people consider a bit because we end up in a circular argument. How do we know that the Bible is true? Uh, well, it's because it says it's true. And so that right there, you've got a circular argument going on. And what does that mean for us in practice? Well, it means that um, every Christian has heard the word of God And when they've heard that, they've accepted that as what it truly is, which is the word of God, Mm. um, truth. And so we we can read about that in the pages of the New Testament. Uh, Paul thanked God that the Thessalonians received the word of Paul. So what what Paul was preaching, not as the word of man, but as the word of God, what it really is. And so this is where we end up with this circular argument. Why do we think the Bible's true? Well, it's because the Bible says it's true, and when we hear it, we receive it with faith. Mm. Mm. Yeah. And so how do, where do we go from there? Because if someone doesn't accept it's true, what do we? Yeah, that's right. So if we've got this circular argument, um, what we can start thinking about is, well, is it reasonable to, to get onto that circle? Um, does, it, does it make sense? And that's where, um, back in the day anyway, I was taught to think about this in terms of um, circles and tangents. So we've got the, the circle that we're on. The Bible um, is true because it says it's true. But what about um, the tangents? Um, it's reasonable to think that uh, where the real world and the teaching of the Bible meet, that actually they should correspond. They actually should... Mm. Um, yeah, um, makes sense and actually be true. And so we've got a few tangents that we we often speak about. Uh, The first one, of course, is that throughout history, uh, so many people um, have had the same experience as us, so that when they've heard the word of God, they've heard that and instantly recognised that 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 is true. 
Mm. Um, that that is actually true. That is God speaking to me in His Word, and so we've got the testimony through the ages of that happening. And so that's that's one a tangent. Mm. Um, another, of course, is it's is the beauty of its. Uh, we might say it's ethical teaching. Mm. Now um, we actually explored that quite a bit um, on on a, on a one Sunday when we we dipped into Tom Holland's book Dominion and um, his argument that really so many of the the most cherished ideas associated with the modern Western world have really emerged throughout history, and he traces that as as people have reflected on the teaching of the Bible and and come up with the ideas of of human rights, mm. and for example, to, to to take one. And so again, that's that's another tangent where we think about what what does the the Bible say? What does it teach? And actually, when it comes to reality, when it comes to this world. Um, does that make sense? Is it reasonable to think that if this is God's word, God's truth, then he's telling us the value of, of humanity because we are created in the image of God. Um, does that resonate with us? Does that make sense? Mm. Uh, so that's another another tangent. Um, and th- there are a bunch more. Um, so we're course, really thinking about, I guess, how, how ideas, are, are the, are the, if, if I'm, I'm trying to conceptualize the circle and the tangent thing, it's mm. like, is, is where, where does the circle of the teaching of Bible the Bible intersect with various lines of thought or of, of approaching the world uh, that are just out there. Um, where it, it, it does the li- does the line touch the, the circle of, of where our belief is, and mm. and and so are you saying there that in a sense that the, the line for the Tom Holland line of uh, the way we understand the world and human rights and what we think is right actually is something that does intersect with Christian faith, was generated by that, but also why we recognise this to be almost a self-evident thing is actually because the, the gospel is true. Is, is that the kind of circle tangent illustration using? Yeah, yeah. that's right. So, um, and we'll come to this a bit later on in terms of evaluating frameworks, but um, sort of worldviews have an internal pattern, internal teaching, internal consistency, hopefully. That, that's one mm-hmm. way that we'll assess a framework, a worldview. Um, but then the question is, how does it, how does it ra- match reality? Mm. Does it actually, yeah. is, it, does it, is it livable? Does it make sense of the world we actually live in? And so another tangent is this one of the lived experience, which is if I actually follow uh, what the Bible says, follow its teachings and live that out, um, the, the Bible has this 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 um, this framework where because God made the world, when He tells us how to live in the world, it it actually by and large should work out. Mm. It should make sense. Mm. Now, of course, it's a fallen world, and so occasionally that doesn't work out that well. But generally speaking, if we live God's way, life should actually uh, work out pretty well. And that that's another tangent right there. We say, well, hang on, if I do, if I am honest. You know, if I do treat people well, then actually this makes sense of the world. It, it actually does work out. Hmm. And is that where we can even see in terms of that when we look at the world, what the Bible says about sin and the brokenness of humanity? Is that another of those sort of tangents that we can say, well, that helps us to actually understand the truth because what the Bible says about the world and the fact that there is sin and that people have rejected and so things go badly the Bible actually gives us an explanation for that as well as a solution? Well, that's right. I mean, um, we have we got a bunch of stuff going on in our, our world today, don't we? We've got, um, we've got Me Too, we've got these questions around consent and, and so forth. Um, the Bible gives us a very um, clear picture, I think, of 
the fallenness, um, the selfishness, the, the evil, ultimately, of humanity. And that's been a stumbling block, actually, for, for a bunch of people over the years. People will say that, actually, if, if God made this world, then why do bad things happen? Well, actually, it doesn't take too many pages into the Bible to find out why that happens. <laughs> um, and so on that level, the Bible does a, a wonderful job, I think, of explaining reality, the world in which we live. We're not going to defeat evil with um, ultimately with, with more education or, um, or technology or anything like that because we're, we're dealing with the problem inside of us mm. and it's a problem of the human heart. And, um, and so, again, yeah, I think when we reflect on the world that we live in, we start seeing, well, the, what the Bible's saying just explains so much of who we are and, and, and what we do and what happens. Mm. Yep. Yeah. Uh, we were chatting a little bit about this the other day. It's why you look out at the world and you go, where is utopia? Where, where is the place? If, if uh, the doctrine of sin wasn't actually true and if we're, people were inherently neutral, let alone inherently good, but even inherently neutral, then we should be able to see out there somewhere in the history of humanity uh, the place that everyone got it right because then there's no inherent bias towards um, evil or, or, or wrongdoing or selfishness or anything like that. So show me where utopia is. It's not as if people haven't tried to form it and yet go through the history of the world and point me to a place where you're going, that place at that time for a sustained period of time got everything Right, and the reason is you won't find such a place is because the doctrine seems actually true. It, it, it intersects like a circle with a tangent with mm. with reality, such that um, the problem with any attempt to find a utopia or to build one is the fact that you've got people in it, and and people take sin with their hearts, and mm. so, and so it, it just rings true to reality, doesn't it? Yeah, well, you've reminded me of Tolkien and um, why he didn't sort of write follow ups to the Lord of the Rings and. Um he, he deeply understood this stuff and he spoke about, well, actually, there, there are no happy ever after stories. Mm. You know, the, mm. the way of man, of mankind, of um, humanity, is that actually we, we take things bad, mm. you know. <laughs> it's no utopia. It might seem like we've ended up on a really good place, but where that finishes is no good. And that's why he didn't, he didn't end up writing in more of the Lord of the Rings. Mm. Yeah. Which I guess that's where it kind of, it really hits because you go, well, what we get presented in the world that we're in, is actually black and broken. Mm. And, you know, there are no happily ever afters that we can write, but there is a hope for eternity that the conquering king has actually opened up for us. Mm. Oh, exactly, exactly right. Hey, look, the the, um, the last tangent that I was thinking that we might think about, of course, is is a key one that the Bible presents to us, and that, and that is um, history itself and really the resurrection. Mm. So um, that, that's such a critical um, truth claim that the Bible's, very clear. Um, if the resurrection didn't happen, then um, Christianity is worthless. You yeah. know? It's worthless. Um, and so um, that's a key point there. If, if, if there is proof that the resurrection didn't happen, then everything everything falls away. It's, it's very much um, grounded and um, rooted in history. And, and that's why we take that sort of stuff very seriously, don't we? We, we spend a, a bunch of time thinking about the historicity and, and how things went down what's reasonable, um, and even just in Mark we've seen, no, no one's really questioning <laughs> what Jesus did, the veracity of what he actually did. I suppose their big questions end up being what it meant and what, mm. it, what, what it would mean for his identity. Um, but that's a, that's a big one as well for us. Yeah, yeah. And, and I think you know, I, I, I could say that it was actually a very formative thing for me in my teenage years as a, as a younger Christian going into adolescence who'd been taught the gospel and believed it because I'd been taught it, 
um, actually coming to my youth and going, am I am I just absorbing this because it was the way I've been brought up? Am, mm. am I just absorbing this because my parents told me it was true and I believe my parents? Or is it actually real? And one of the most significant times for, for me in my whole Christian life was actually spending time looking at um, whether the resurrection happened or not. What what could be the alternatives? How did they stand up? What what are what are the things that support the scriptural testimony to it? And at the end of that journey, I'm a hundred percent convinced that Jesus rose from the dead. And all mm. of a sudden, my own lived experiences is that went click 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 click. Um, if Jesus rose from the dead, then his claims about himself are true. His claims about humanity are true. Um, uh, my response to him really does matter, and I need to acknowledge him. And and so that that and so can I encourage anyone out there who's perhaps um, wrestling with this, go have a look at the evidence. Mm. I have no yeah. problem with saying go look for it because when you find when you look at it, you, you'll go it it is comfortably the best ex- explanation. Yeah, um, and we can include a couple of those sort of. There's lots of good books that you can mm. read on that, on the historical evidence for Jesus and people's investigations into that. So we might include a couple of links in the show notes to some things if people are interested in investigating more. And because I think that's one of the things that I love about the Christian faith is that it stands up to history, and so you can investigate and you can ask the questions, and the answers are there. Mm, indeed. Mm. Hey, look, I think that that now takes us to the the question that was asked, really, and Mm, that is, should we now then, just as we investigate Christianity, also investigate um, other claims to the truth, other worldviews? And uh, on one level, we can we can actually say, and this is a very provisional answer, there's more to this answer. On one, one hand, we can say no, because once we have heard the truth, um, we actually, in one sense, don't go searching anymore. So um, that sort of makes sense. In one sense, we actually spend a lot more time investigating mm. Christianity and delving deep and, and finding out more and more and more because we know it's true. Mm. Um, and But that's that's not the whole answer I want to give at that point. Um, I, I certainly have spent a lot of time investigating other religions and other claims to truth. Uh, partly there's benefit in just me helping to understand Christianity better, actually. Mm. To hear what other views and other um, takes are helps me understand it and dig deeper into what to, to what Christianity, um, where, where it falls on some of these questions. But the other one is is really, um, I almost want to say, um, almost want to say, trying not to be a jerk, which is <laughs> when someone says to me, you know, I, I've been reading recently um, and I actually think this is this is true, um, this is amazing, or I've, I've started going along somewhere, I've started doing something. Well, actually, I want to come alongside that person and, and really try and understand what it is that they're talking about. Um, I, mostly because I, I'd love them to become a Christian and so I, I want to be able to stand, a, walk a mile in their shoes, I guess, and, and actually talk to them about why why Jesus makes um, a, a lot of sense. And so actually part of that is this idea of suspended judgment. So um, as, as people who know the truth and want others to know the truth, we can be very quick to um, jump on a, a fault in another system or um, uh, something that does, just doesn't make sense in what people are saying. Um, whereas I think we need to challenge ourselves to really understand where people are coming from, what they're talking about. And, and often we, and so suspending our judgment on that and also trying to, to seek out the best, the most ablest defenders of that particular and articulators of that mm. position, because we, as Christians, we don't like it 
when um, people say to us, yeah, look, I, I heard this person, this Christian say something. It was dumb and so Christians are dumb. Mm. And you think, well, hang on. I, I never appointed that person mm. as a spoke per- spokesperson for my beliefs and I wouldn't have because mm. they're not they're not right. I don't believe that. So that, that doesn't that doesn't help anything. Um, and so this idea that actually we we actually do investigate, we we actually take a, a bunch of time, we try and find the best articulate defender of, of what a position, an articulator of, of that position, and then engage with it carefully, closely. Yep. And that's because we love people. Mm. And so we want to understand as sympathetically as we can, what is it that they actually believe? Why do they believe it? Because I'd like to think that the people that I know and care about, they're not silly, um, but sometimes you just go, I don't understand what they believe. And so trying to actually understand sympathetically, what is it that they believe? Why do they believe that? What is it about that that attracts them? Because there's obviously something that has attracted And the better I can understand where they're coming from and what their view is, the better I can actually speak the gospel into their life that they need to hear. Mm. Exactly. And look, and that brings us to the the next, the final question, isn't it? Actually, we, we, we were hoping to cover. And that is, how, how do we then evaluate these other frameworks, these other claims to truth? And, and we could um, list off some of the old school ones like naturalism and existentialism and nihilism and pantheonism and, and postmodernism and scientism. I suppose you could say that as well. Ismism. Um, is, it, is, is that enough isms? <laughs> ah, so many more. I actually did a, a subject at um, University of New South Wales on an introduction to isms. Um, that was good fun. Um, surrealism popped up in there as well, which um, I actually didn't do that well on that um, major assignment. Um, I needed to construct a surrealist um, piece of art and um, I did poetry, actually. Really? Poetry. Surrealist poetry. Yeah. yeah. And um, as, our, as our tutor would often say, um, a key part of surrealist work is is not actually the the output, but actually the process that that sort of produced the work. And um, I don't know if I really understood post, uh, surrealist, but my, my what I did was because how do I sort of how do I get into a, a way of producing something that um, I'm going through a surreal experience? So I just started really late and late <laughs> and late late, just getting really sleepy, not really thinking super clearly, and then I just wrote some stuff and I submitted that <laughs> and um, I did okay but not great so I um, but anyway there, there are many isms and um, um, I've, I've got a history of enjoying investigating other things like that but but how do we evaluate these things let's get back on topic uh, we, I'm sure we should cut that um, <laughs> let's uh, think about this well the first one is internal consistency I think um, if a system doesn't make sense internally then there's a problem. And we, we mentioned before, I mean, the problem of evil. So if Christianity can't deal with the problem of evil, then you can pretty much chuck it into the bin. You've, you've, a system has to be able to deal with um, that key aspect of our life, um, why bad things happen to good people. We, we, we've got to be able to, to make sense of that. And, um, and so that goes for any, any system. We've got to be able to make sure it actually makes sense internally and and some of our time we're investigating other worldviews is, is just spent trying to understand how it all fits together. Okay, so if this is this, then how does this work? How does this work? And, and we spend a bunch of time doing that. Um, and certainly uh, um, um, when you do that, certainly that can actually raise very interesting questions, can't it? Um, 
But anyway, we'll, we'll we'll get to those, I guess. Um, the second the second second aspect there is does it match up reality? And mm. so this is where we're talking about the tangents. Mm. So if we we use the the metaphor from before, the idea that the circle is this system, it has to make sense internally. The tangents is how it impacts and impinges on the real world, and, and does that actually line up? Mm. Um, and that's a that's a key question. Um, does it explain the the lived experience? Um, there's no point. Um, adopting a worldview that that doesn't match reality, mm. and um, that that doesn't make any sense. And then the third third prong here is, um, does it resonate with us? I think um, that's the that's an interesting one. Um, so you might think of um, um, I don't know natural selection or something like that, and you think about oh, I'm going to explain the world purely in in those terms. Okay, so the internal system. Okay, well you can you can argue whether that makes sense or not, and and partly it's derived from what we see in the world, so it should make sense of that. But are we are we actually happy to say that actually, according to that system, the strongest survive? Um, and so we shouldn't really care if um, the weak are removed. Um, we could even say that um, genocide happens because that's just um, how things work. If if one race, let's say, is stronger than another, then they should remove them. And, and, and as a society, as a human race, will get stronger and stronger. Well, actually, that doesn't resonate at all with me. Mm. That's mm. awful. Nor me. No, no <laughs> not nor me. I just want to <laughs> – we're agreed then. <laughs> Genocide, bad. Yeah, and so we, we have to – and that's why I, I wanted to bring that, that one out because I think the resonating one is actually a, a key aspect of, of how we evaluate worldviews. They, they can't just make – um, sense inside of themselves and match up with reality, they actually have to be compelling. Um, is, this, is this actually um, a, a good worldview or, or where does it lead? Is it actually awful? Um, yeah. Um, so um, with that said, how do, how do we evaluate other uh, frameworks? Um, they're, they're the things to keep in mind and you try and suspend your judgment. You don't try and make these calls too early. But um, they're, they're the challenge. And as we do that, I think we actually do start thinking a bit more about um, Christianity and, and what are the answers that Christianity has to these questions. And at the end of that, I think we're, we're all the better for it. So mm. I encourage people to investigate and investigate deeply and slowly um, and, again, to seek out the best articulators of positions um, because that's what we want people to be doing for Christianity. We are committed. We're committed to people, as Mandy said. We're also committed to truth. And so... Mm. If what we're saying is true, then we are open for investigation, um, totally open, and you can invest in and delve in as far as you want to go because it's true. Mm. Yeah. And and I think one of the uh, – as you were speaking, I was reflecting on one of the greatest uh, does-it-match realities, and, th- and that is the fact that the, the Christian message says that there is a personal God, a personal God who has come near to us in Jesus Christ and who you can meet mm. and relate with. And so if that is true, then when you come to faith, do you find yourself in a relationship? Mm. Uh, is there a God that you actually get to relate to? Mm. And, um, and I think that you know, the, certainly the, Christian, the testimony of Christians is you betcha mm. um, that, that when I actually own this, um, I actually come to know someone. Mm-hmm. I actually come to know God. And, and so it's, it's this, it's this um, one that... Uh, unfortunately, of course, the person who doesn't believe doesn't come into a relationship with God, so can't really say, "Oh, yeah, I didn't like the relationship" or something mm-hmm. like that. They they 
they didn't have it. But I, but it, it's just interesting and, and thinking about Mark as well. How at the end of the day, it, it's it's coming to Jesus and 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 seeing him for who he is, and and, uh, and so and all of that other exploration that you get to do uh, at the end of the day. Um, it is solid, it is reliable, and it introduces you to a God who has loved you this much mm. that he would send his one and only son. And this, the, the beautiful truth of, of, uh, of Christianity for, for me and I'm sure for you is that, is that mind and heart, um, it, it, uh, it addresses the whole person mm. and, and the whole experience. And also why on one level you, you kind of, um, while you might engage actively and thoughtfully with what other people believe, it's not just a belief system; it's a relationship. Um, and uh, and if someone wants to tell me that the person that I, I love actually doesn't love me or doesn't exist, well, uh, you know, I'm, I'll, I'll listen. But <laughs> there's more to it than that. Well, I mean, that's a circle <laughs> and tangent right there, isn't it? So yeah. the Bible tells us that uh, God is a God of relationship; He's a, a triune God. And when we live our lives, actually, so much of life is relationship. And um, I remember Michael Hill, uh, former vice principal of Moore College, um, uh, back in the day, and I think it still happens today, used to have an interview before going to Moore mm. um, by someone on the, the faculty there. And um, one of the things Michael did as part of this panel, um, he would often try and ask a question of theology. I, I don't really know why he did that because <laughs> you're, you're going there to, to learn theology. Um, but um, I guess he was, he was having a bit of fun. And, um, and what he said was... Um, so um, the God of Islam or the God of the Bible, um, uh, in light of marriage, I think he said, which one makes more sense? And um, what he was getting at was um, the God of the Bible is a God of relationship. And so, of course, uh, male, female, marriage, all this little stuff sort of makes sense. It doesn't make sense if it's a, a monad, right? So, so um, a God who is not a God of um, relationship. And so right there we're, we're seeing mm-hmm. one of those circles and tangents right there. The, the nature of um, the Bible describing a God of relationship and a good God means that our lived experience should be that we experience relationships and actually so much of life is, is other person-centeredness, mm. which again um, just resonates with our lived experience and, 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 and of course it should. Mm. And so again, we're, we're seeing this idea that the tangents are pointing back to the reasonableness mm. of um, this circle that we're on. Mm. Yeah. Wonderful. Yeah. Well, I think we're done. Yeah. Unless there's any final words for us, Mike? <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, God is good. Let's go with that. Yeah, that's a pretty good place to finish. Well, I've been Dave. Um, I've been Mandy. I've been Mike. Uh, Join us again next week as we turn to the end of Mark chapter 6 and we see Jesus feed the 5,000, walk on water, and we think, who is this man? Thank you.